Yesterday, we had a special breakfast here honoring two very, very special people, um, Chet and Nita Copley. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with them. Chet and Nita have been with this church for ever, Nita says, <laughs> forever, and they are truly um, pillars of this church. They are moving to Michigan to be with their daughter, uh, son-in-law, and grandkids at the end of March, and so we wanted to just recognize them for all of the things that they have meant to us and all the things that they've uh, been to us and for this church. And so yesterday we had a breakfast for them and we presented them, presented them with this Distinguished Service Award. And it in no way encapsulates or could ever encapsulate everything that they have done for us and everything that they mean to us. But we, we didn't want to let them go without honoring them. And yesterday uh, we gave everybody a chance that wanted to to speak, which is always a dangerous thing. But over and over again, we just heard these words that Nita is so full of wisdom, so full of discernment. She's such an encourager. And I know that's true for myself as well as uh, all of us as a staff. She is always, always encouraging us, which uh, us pastors need that sometimes. And um, just, just love. She's just full of love. And Chet such a godly man. He has painted this church 10 times over, I'm sure. He always just drops whatever he's doing to come up here and do what is needed to be done. He's been on 15 mission trips, I think, uh, been to 15 different countries, uh, 27, 27 different countries. Wow, I was way under. I underestimated there. So he, he decided early on, God called him uh, to be about his people, about God's people. And he decided early on that he and his family were going to serve in that way. And he has just been the backbone of a lot of our mission trips here. And so we just want to say that we love you. I cannot tell you what I, I don't even know what I would have done if you guys hadn't latched on to George and I and just kind of mentored us, mentored us along the way. So you mean a lot to us. You mean a lot to this church. And we love you, and we are honored uh, that you served here in our church. Love you. Thank you. Let's continue to worship. Just take a minute. This wasn't planned, but... Would you do me a favor and just reach out towards Nita and Chet? We want to be a church that sends them well. They're not leaving us. They're just taking Houston First Church and replanting in a different church because they will always be ours, and we want to bless them well. So, Father, I pray for Chet and Nita. Thank you for their life of service to you. Thank you for their example that they have been to me personally. Thank you for the love that they've showed my family and countless others. I pray a blessing upon their lives. I pray that you'll be with them as they move. Help them to remember how much they are loved and God help them to have an exciting next chapter in this adventure that you have for them. We love you. Amen.
All right. Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in this series. It's called You, Me, and We, and we're talking about marriage. And uh, we've been a couple of weeks in now. And on the first week, if you will remember, just to refresh your brain a little bit, we're talking about seeking God first. And that's so essential in relationships that seek God first. And then we said this little phrase, couples that pray together, stay together. Funny story. Couple said, you know what, we tried this. We hadn't done this in a long time. We haven't prayed together. And so we got in our spots in bed and we said, you know what, okay, we're going to pray. And so out of nowhere, they met in the middle without, you know, coordinating this effort and bopped heads uh, right in the middle. And uh, so the next day they were texting, do you have a black eye uh, kind, of, kind of situation? So, you know, it's need to be careful with praying together, but it's very essential for uh, marriage and uh, we need it. Uh, the second week we split up. We went old school, we went guys and girls. That was a fun week. The guys watched the replay of the Super Bowl and the ladies <laughs> talked about the Bible, I'm sure. And uh, then last week we talked about, do you remember what we talked about? You need to make love a verb. Uh, you need to make love a verb. And that was a slippage at the end I didn't mean to say of last week. But you need to make love a verb. And uh, we need to have serious fun in, in marriage. And remember we talked about how we need to have face-to-face -face fun and side-to-side -side fun and even belly button to belly button fun. Now, speaking of belly buttons, this started uh, Lent this last week, uh, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> See that transition there? Yeah. I planned that. <laughs> and Lent is the, the weeks before leading up to Easter. And so we don't want to just get to Easter and be like, oh, man, it's that day. Lent is about focusing on the cross and simplifying life and remembering some of the important habits that we need to, to focus on to enhance our relationship with God as we get closer and closer to this amazing day of the year we call Easter. And so that's really what Lent's all about. And we have some aids there in the back uh, in the kind of welcome area that if you would like to participate in, in, in Lent, and maybe this is the first time for you. And this Wednesday was amazing. Thanks, Garen, for putting that together. Uh, if you came in and experienced the, the stations and the time that we just really began to, to get into this season. And I, it's a great time for me. So if you'd like to check out that, it's in the, in the welcome area afterwards. Now, I've, I've been to and had uh, premarital counseling before with couples. And oftentimes, they will sit together and we talk about different things. And one of the things that I'll throw out there is, okay, so what are some things that cause tension? You know, what are some things that cause tension in your relationship? And sometimes, it's, it's, honestly, it's been about half the time, they, they begin to just start looking in each other's eyes. And they go, well, we don't fight about anything. Oh, wait, we do. Who's going to hang up first? No, you hang up. You, or who loves each other more? That's what we fight about. And somewhere in my mind, I am like rolling my eyes saying, whatever. <laughs> because fights, they happen, right? We all experience tension. This is not just a marriage thing. This is a relationship people thing. All right, And, and within marriages and within life, there are, there are times that there's this, this tension. And James asked this question, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. And in James chapter 4, you can find yourself there. He asked a simple question that we want to think about this morning. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, this is in the church setting, but I think this is great for all of us today. So if I were to ask that question, what causes fights and tension 
in marriages. Think about marriages you know. Think about your marriage. Maybe this is not something you want to discuss in the middle of service, but maybe you need a refresher this morning, things that cause tension. So check out this video. Maybe this will remind you of a few things. <laughs> Anybody relate to any of those? All right. Just for the record, how hard is it? Do you not check where you sit down in other places? Just throwing that out there, okay? Um, but there are some things that cause some tension, all right? There's things that cause tension in a lot of places. And we want to look at this verse real quick. It says, that, keep reading along. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, all right? So what is this saying? There's the key word in all this, isn't it? You. You. Now, that's a tough word. Now, you're sitting down with someone. No, no, no. It's them. It's, it's them. It's not, it's not me. It's them. That's the problem. They're the problem. The reason why we're having this, this tension, this fight, it's because of them. And I, can we just boil it down to one, one thought here? I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. Now, if we were to sit down uh, with two people that were, were having a, a fight, and I were to throw out a pie chart, okay? And, and I would say, turn to one person and say, would you just, you know, pie charts, you know, you, you fill out a percentage of the little pie. Of, what percentage of this pie, or this, this problem, is because of you or something that, that you're causing? And, and what percentage do you think that people would, would put out there? I don't think they would put any because once you identify a piece of the pie that you have, that's my part of it, then suddenly what? It, you're taking ownership. So it's, it's the you part of this verse. It, it's so important that instead of them, it, it's, it's you. And so what does it, does it say? Because of this, this desire to have something that we don't have, you kill. It says, so you kill. Now, do you think you're talking about like physically killing? He's speaking to the church. It's not killing people, but kill relationships. How many times have you seen someone, they didn't have what they wanted in a relationship, this or that, or, or you didn't do it the right way, or you didn't listen, or you didn't do it the way I thought, or, and it, it turned into something bigger, and actually relationships were damaged or even killed because of that very reason. People do that in other relationships as well. When someone doesn't get what they want, they lash out in various ways, from name calling to, to accusations or blaming this and, and, and that. So, and even, you, you see people even power up. And when they, we power up, we, we do anything that we can to win because we want what we want, right? We want it, what does Burger King say? We want it our way. We want it our way. And, and that's really a lot of the a heart of, of some tension that, that's there and, and problems that we have in marriages and out of marriages as well. So let's, let's jump back a couple of, of verses, all right? James chapter 3. James chapter 3, flip over probably a half a page in, in, in the Bible. James chapter 3, we're going to kind of float through this a little bit. And it says this, Who is wise... And understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So, two words that jump out, humility and wisdom. 
What is wisdom? What's wisdom? Just turn to your partner real quick, turn to the person beside you, turn to your friend and say, what is wisdom? And then just jot down a, a few things that will get us there. What is wisdom? we we'll do a just survey. Anybody want to throw a couple out there? Listening to your wife. Well played. Well played. Somebody else. Life experience. Yeah. Learning from the past to make better decisions in the future. Yeah. Knowledge applied. You can be extremely smart, but know some smart people that are not very wise, right? Knowing, you know, making a decision now based on not just the now, but on the future as well. That's, that, that's being wise. And they're making this, this correlation. James is trying to pull it together here and say, humility, and, and what is humility? Humility is others first. It's not just, you know, me who knows everything, but someone else might have something to, to, to add to the conversation. Humility is putting others first, listening to others. Humility leads to wisdom, and wisdom leads to humility. Now, we all, we can't stand, I, I, maybe this is just me, but I, I feel like that universally arrogance is, is we, we can't stand arrogant. We can't, when we look at arrogant people, it just irks us. People that are the smartest people in the room, that always the smartest people in the room when they, they walk in. People that know everything. They don't have to listen because they know everything, right? They're constantly talking. I even can't stand arrogant teams in sports or arrogant people in sports. Like the Yankees, they just know everything. The New York Yankees, they win all the time. And so it's just, there's just arrogance about them. There are certain teams that kind of have that kind of feel to them as well. We look at people that are famous. Now, when they're first famous, what happens? They're, they're this, man, I'm just so glad to be here. Thank you for this. I can't believe it. I'm just a kid from wherever, and now I'm here, and this is awesome. And then the next moment, they know everything, right? They know everything, and they are just better than everyone else, and suddenly things turn for them, right? We're not going to name any names of famous people that are like that, but then suddenly like, man, that kid's a punk. Uh, how did that happen? Humility turned into arrogance. We can't stand arrogance. And, 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 and we've been arrogant at one point, haven't we? Because we've all been teenagers before, all right? We as teenagers, you know everything, right? I've always kidded with students, when you're in middle school, you know everything. And then you get to high school and you realize, when I was in middle school, I knew nothing. And then you get to college and you say, man, when I was in high school, I knew nothing. What was I thinking back then? And you get out of college and go, man, Man, I made some really dumb mistakes. Well, I, th I thought I knew everything in college, but now, man. And you go through these stages, and you realize that you don't know everything. And humility is, is having this, this open-hand philosophy. And Wendy, had a, we had a prayer station over here on Wednesday that was, was clay. And it was this idea of being pliable and being open to something new, being open to the fact that we don't know everything and that you don't know everything, that our lives are pliable and we can be pliable. And when we're like that in relationships, and when we're like that in life, then that is when wisdom comes into the picture. And that's when we, wisdom births more humility. And so let's keep reading in James chapter 3. What does it say? But if you harbor, what is harbor? 
It's this living, allowing things to live. You know, we, we, we get pretty excited or pretty upset when people would harbor terrorists, when things are allowing people to live in a certain place. Because if you allow someone like a, a terrorist to live in a country, you're basically saying, you know what, you're condoning that. You're allowing and you're saying that's okay. So when you allow bitterness, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such, air quotes, anybody know air quotes? Wisdom, not really wisdom, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And so when you have these things and you possess this I know everything mentality, me first, I want it my way place, then it, it leads to disorder and it leads to all kinds of things. But wisdom that comes from heaven, this is that, that wisdom that's full of humility, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And what does it say? Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So this wisdom that's founded in humility, it, there's, it, it, it produces certain things. It produces this, this pure word, which is, this, is unpolluted. People that are peace-loving. Now look around our world, and it doesn't feel very peace-loving. If you look in the news, if you even look on sports shows, everything is based on tension. Like we're going to create a show where two people disagree the whole time, and that's the basis for the show. We're taught this. This tension is, is always there. And, and the opposite of that is this peace-loving, considerate. Now, what's considerate? Considerate is considering others' feelings and thoughts even before your own. And then they pair it up with this word submissive. Now, we talked about submissive last week. Ephesians 5.21 says it this way. When speaking of a married couple, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And basically what that word submit means is this. It's you are more important than me. Husband, more important than, than wife. Wife, more important than husband. You, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first kind of mentality. And this produces this good fruit, this, this sincere and partial uh, life. I love the way the message puts it. It says this, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. So that's kind of the baseline, the foundation, okay? To have wisdom, you've got to be humble. You've got to be, live open-handed and be able to live in a place of, you know what, I don't have all the answers, and I'm open to conversation and dialogue, and I am pliable uh, in, in life to God, and I want to be submissive. I want to put others first in my life. Now, there's a book that I've been reading. I've been, my wife is, uh, uh, said the other day, I'm so, man, this is nice that my husband's reading all these marriage books. I've read like four or five this season. This one is called... Uh, the Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, and it's by a guy named John Gottman. And uh, he's one of the leading experts with relationships, but he specializes in one thing, fighting. <laughs> he just specializes in tension and fighting. And he says this, that he can tell within five minutes of a conversation, due to years and years of study, within five minutes of observing a couple in their attention-filled moment, 91% with 91% accuracy 
if they will get a divorce or not based on the way they fight. Tension's going to happen. People are going to fight. We all, there are things that, you know, there's things throughout, you know, Melanie marriage that have just jumped up out of nowhere that we never considered that there was a right and a wrong way to do things, right? There's a right way to load the dishwasher, okay? There's a wrong way to load the dishwasher. The right way to load the dishwasher is, you know, you put the, the silverware a certain place, down, not up, all right? And when the dishes from that day are, are finished, you start the dishwasher. It doesn't have to be completely full, okay, to start the dishwasher. Now, there's the other way, which is the, the way of we have to have the dishes, dishwasher completely full to utilize every drop of water and be, you know, as efficient as we can be. But if you do that, then you've got, you know, the next load of dishes comes, and you can't fit all those in, right? You following me? You tracking with me? There's the right way to do things, which is to put the peanut butter in the refrigerator, okay? <laughs> and then there's the other way to do things, which is to put the peanut butter in the pantry. But peanut butter is meant to be cold. It's better that way, okay? <laughs> then there's the right way. The right way which is you open your stockings after you, <laughs> after you open your Christmas presents. And then there's the other way, when you open stockings before Christmas. That makes no sense at all, by the way, okay? Christmas presents were meant to be opened first, and then afterwards, it's like, we forgot, we have stockings, yes! That's the way it should be done, all right? There's tensions like that all around. And those are some of the smallest things that you don't see coming. But those are just, they're, they're microcosms of other things as well. Other things that you didn't necessarily predict, but they're on their way. All couples fight. The question is, how do you fight? How do you fight? Do you fight fair or do you fight dirty? Do you fight dirty? You know what I mean when you fight dirty? Dirty is low blows. It's gouging of the eyes. When you, when you remember back to high school in those days when someone would yell out the word fight, okay? This wasn't like, okay, we're going to duel and uh, we're going to like have ground rules for the fight. What happens? It's just arms flying everywhere and just, it's, it's nasty, all right? You, you remember those days, okay? That's not fighting fair. That's just fighting to win. You're, you're fighting to win. And Quite honestly, I love to win. I love to win. When I get into an argument, my goal is to win. All right, that's just the internal part of me. When I get in discussion, it doesn't matter if it's with Melanie or with someone else. Like, I want to win. And I will oftentimes, and I have said whatever it takes to win and make a point. And sometimes that means I say things that are mean. Sometimes I say things that are hurtful. Sometimes that I've, I've said things that I didn't really want to say, but I wanted to win the argument, and I wanted to win the moment. Are you with me? Now, that, that's just the internal who we are. We want to win sometimes. Now, one of those tension places for us is playing games. We're both very competitive, all right? And those stories that you, you don't want to relive, but there it is, there's this game called... Uh, Settlers of Catan, okay? 
Settlers of Catan, it's a real nerdy game where you have to build stuff, and yeah, uh, it's just, it just is. But it's very competitive, and you know, there's a certain way to play this game, I believe, in, and, and, and I obviously want to win, but my hope is that if I don't win, that I want, I want Melanie, of course, to win second, you know, in, in amongst the people at the table, because it's an individual game, but I kind of see it as, you know, if I don't win, I want you to win, hon, kind of thing. So I don't do things to hurt her in the game, all right? That's just my, you know, unless I have to, unless there's a, okay. So we've talked about this, and uh, she's extremely competitive as well. And, and one particular night, after we, we just had this talk about, you know, we had that secret discussion before the other couple came. It was like, okay, we're going to help each other, okay? <laughs> All right? And in the middle of the game, she made a move that totally blocked me from any chance of winning, okay? I was done because it was the best move for her. And in and, and hindsight, you're like, I got to respect that a little bit. But in the moment, I took one of those little roads and I was like, really? Really? And I flipped the road at her. Yes. And instead of landing like, you know, toward her pieces and like just, you know, knocking over some of her houses, it actually landed about right here on her face. Yeah. And you just, my eyes just did this. What happened? But when you win, you fight to win, things come out that you don't mean. And things come out that you, you regret. And so we want to talk about this, and we want to get super practical in, in those last few minutes that we have, is this. Understand this. Unhealthy couples, they fight for personal victory. I want to win, and I want it my way. But healthy couples, they fight for resolution. They fight to be peacemakers. How can we bring peace to the situation? And it starts, I, I think there's some, there's some practical uh, th things in mind here. First of all, you've got to recognize there's some things that are going to be unsolvable. There's going to be some differences that you're just not going to get over. In fact, a psychologist named Dan Weil uh, in Gottman's book talks about how two-thirds uh, differences within couples are unsolvable. Two-thirds of problems are unsolvable. And he gives this example. Paul married Alice, and Alice gets loud at parties. And Paul, who is shy, hates that. But if Paul had married Susan, he and Susan would have gotten into a fight before they would have even gotten to the party. That's because Paul is always late, and Susan hates to be kept waiting. She would feel taken for granted, which is very, it's a very sensitive, uh, she's very sensitive about. Paul would see her complaining about this as her attempt to dominate her which he is very sensitive about. If Paul had married Gail, they would have even gone to the, wouldn't even gone to the party because they would still be upset about an argument that they had the day uh, before about Paul's not helping with housework. To Gail, when Paul does not help, she feels abandonment and she is sensitive, which she is sensitive about, and to Paul. Gail's complaining is an attempt at domination, which he is sensitive about, okay? You're going to find things that are tension-filled things. And there's some things that are unsolvable and some things that, that we need to find compromise with. One of the things that Melanie hates or, or disgust, is disgusted with me is when I eat cereal and I chomp cereal, okay? I'm a very loud cereal chomper, okay? <laughs> I didn't realize it was a gift, but apparently it is, and I have it. <laughs> now... 
a little bit of a source of tension at first, but now she <laughs> leaves the room when that happens, all right? <laughs> with, the di- with the dishes, we have discovered, you know what? If you're doing the dishes, you can do it the way you want to do it. Uh, if you want to have it half full, then, then start it up. Go for it. If you want to put the peanut butter in the, the, the kitchen or in the uh, refrigerator, well, that's just not going to work. We decided that... Uh, I made a little compromise and said that apparently 99% of the world puts it in the pantry and, and there it is. There's some places that are just are not going to be solved and you have to, to get over. James tell us, tells us this in James 1.19. Everyone should be, you should, everyone should know this verse. It's a great verse, just practical living. Should be quick to listen. Now you know it, don't you? Quick to listen, slow to and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Be quick to listen. Now, the actual Greek here is not the word listen, it's the word hear, because we know that listening and hearing are very different, right? Listening and hearing are very, very different. When we listen, uh, you can just recognize sounds in the room. But hearing is when you actually take in what someone is saying and, 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 and understand not only what the words are coming out of their mouth, but actually what they're feeling and thinking as well. But we're a multitasking generation and world, right? I saw this picture when I looked up the word multitasking, and you, you think of... <laughs> this is kind of the world we live in. We're doing two things at once. And how many times have you been in a conversation and you were doing something else in the middle of that conversation, right? And then the question came, well, what do you think? Or how about that? Or this? And you go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Whatever you think, honey. Were we really listening or really hearing? Absolutely not. You know, and I think about this in the world of, of a mother conversation Pardon to all mothers in the room. But when I'm talking to my mother sometimes, I get into uh-huh mode, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, mom, uh-huh. One time I was even playing golf. Put on speakerphone, put on the ground, hit a sh- Yes, mother, I know. This is church. You can confess in church sometimes, and there it is. <laughs> my mother does not listen to the podcast. It's okay, all right? <laughs> but we put people on... We put people on, on, on uh-huh conversation mode, right? Where we're not really listening in. Now, Seth Horowitz talks about this. He's a, an auditory neuroscience scientist. And he talks about how we have the ability to turn on this earphone mentality in our head. That we can click a switch that basically we zoom in almost like we have earphones in a conversation. When you're listening just to a person. And you can cloud out, you can block out all the other noise that's around. And we need to, to work on that, something that you need to actually uh, learn as a skill. And guys, we're not very good at this, are we? And we need to learn this as a skill to, to be better listeners. couple of pointers, eliminate distractions in conversations, make good eye contact, and here have some cues along the way when you actually repeat what was just said. What I hear you saying is... And then repeat what, what, is, what is said. Slow to speak. Proverbs 21, 23 says this. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Keep your mouth shut. This is some of the best advice that you can have because how many times have we not thought and just jumped to speak and said something that we regret? 
Two simple questions that uh, Craig Rochelle invites us to ask. Should I say this? Does this build somebody up or does it tear them down? Or, and should I say it right now? Should I say it right now? And when you're in the heat of the moment, you should sometimes take a time out and not say the thing that jumps to mind. Toothpaste, maybe you've heard this before. If you're a teacher, you probably have. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in, can you? And so are our words. They're so destructive. And once they come out, that we, we can't put them back in. Now, some fair fighting tips, okay? And you can use these and, and, and along the way, uh, or you can refine them. But it, it, it's good to have conversations together where we, where we make rules for, for fighting fair. Never call names. In the middle of an argument, never call names. Never raise your voice. Uh, step back and cool off. Don't bring up the past. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Love keeps no record of wrongs. When it's been forgiven and it's been dealt with, then leave it in the past. And how many times have we just brought up old stuff and continue to, to relive what's, what's happened before? When, when forgiveness has taken place and you've dealt with something Leave it that back there. That's one of the, the tactics of our enemy is to, to bring up the past and to show pictures of, of the past. And we don't want us to stoop to that letter, level. Now, truth be told, we're in conversation sometimes, and in the middle of that conversation, you start to think of the past. Maybe you start to think of things that were hurtful from the past or said that was in the past. And those jump to your mind, and there's this, this immediate conflict that's happening within you where you're thinking one thing, and you, know, you don't want to say it. You don't want to think it. And in those moments, we need to rely on the strength of the Holy Spirit to help us and to have even inner dialogue with the Lord, seeking his help. Another rule that would be great to live by, practical rule, don't say the words never or always because they are rarely true. You always do this. You never do this. If they've done it just once, then obviously it's, that's not true. Never threaten divorce. Take it off the table. It's a low blow in, in, in fighting. When things get heated, stop and pray. When things are, are getting to the, one of those moments, you need to just take a step back and say, we need to remember to include God into this situation. Okay? Now, remember the Perman talk from the first week? It's not a time for a Perman. All right? It's not a time for a, a sermon prayer where you're directing at someone. In those moments, quite honestly, I just say, God, we need your help here. I need your help here. Help me to hear. Help me to hear you in, in this conversation along the way. Um, Garen and, and, and uh, Miss Jamie are going to come now. Uh, last thing is this, slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Ephesians 4.26 says this. And it's a piece of advice uh, that uh, probably we've all heard before, but I don't know how many people put into practice. In your anger, do not sin. It's the last thing. Now, is it a sin to be angry? No. But what you do with your anger can be sinful. It can be wrong. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't, let, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. Now, 
I know that people deal with conflict in different ways. There's some people that immediately want resolution. In the moment, conflicts happen. Let's make up. Let's, let's get past this. Some people, there needs to be some time to process. I need to, to walk away. I need just to think about what has just taken place, and let's come back together. Some people are, you know, let's just fine-tooth comb a, a situation, and let's figure out. There, there's different ways to deal with conflict. But this verse is, is pretty specific. Don't let the sun go down on your, on your conflict, on your anger. Now, easy to hear, hard to put in practice. There are times where you need to stay up at night and you need to work things out in the day. Because when the day draws to another one, those things can wedge between couples and they build up and they get greater and they get larger and they, get, they just stack on top of each other and the wedge between people grows. And, and this isn't just with marriage, it's with people. We're, we serve such a relational God. He is the God that says this. He's the God that says, if you're in church and suddenly someone comes to mind that you know that things are not right with, that you know that, that the relationship's not right, then you should leave the service and go and contact that person. Go and contact that person and make things right. Because when things aren't right here, they certainly are not right here. Easy words to say. Because forgiveness is not an easy thing, is it? It's difficult because conflict hurts. And as silly as we can, we can put a silly video up about things that, things that we have in life, but the reality of conflict is we have scars. And as we look at marriage in this department, there are places, quite honestly, as I've thought about this this week, I don't know how couples can survive without God. I don't. It's impossible because the things that we've talked about this morning, we are human and humanity comes out of us and we live in this selfish place and we need, God, and we need God's help. And what he does for us is this, when we have relationship with him, he gives us his spirit inside of us. He helps us to do the thing that's impossible because he has done the impossible. We sang about it earlier. He is the God that took on evil. He took on Satan. He took on the grave, and he was risen from the grave. He takes on the impossible, and he does that with people, and he wants to do that for you. And he wants to do that in your relationships. He wants to do that in your marriages. But we've got to include him in that. And we've got to seek him. We've got to humbly come to him and it, fall on our hands and knees and recognize him and seek that, that forgiveness and that place of peacemaking in our lives. Song by uh, Casting Crowns. You might have heard on the radio. I asked Jamie and, and, and Garen to, to sing it.
about when you look at me. I know I'm not the fairy tale you dreamed we'd be. You wore the veil, you walked the aisle, you took my hand, and we dove into a mystery. Just be broken together. If you can bring your shattered dreams and I'll bring mine, could healing still be spoken and save us? The only way will last forever is broken together. 
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the people in our lives that we love and that we, we cherish. Thank you for the people that you've put in our paths that we get to live life together. And God, I pray uh, for forgiveness this morning. When we have lived the way the world lives, seeking our agendas and our ways, and we're selfish, we're vain, we're prideful. And God, we've, we, in the midst of all those feelings, we've, we've said things, God. We've done things. Quite honestly, we need your forgiveness, God. God, I pray that we would stay humble to be clay in your hands, where we would keep humility as a centerpiece of our marriages, as we seek you first in our lives, as the ultimate authority, God. God, we want to be humble together as we, we spend life together. And God, I pray specifically today for healing. I pray that you would heal the hurt in this room. I pray that you would do that and only the way that you can do, and that is a supernatural God way, that you can help the hurting, you can heal the scars, God, and that you can bring people together. God, I, I pray that couples in this room, friends in this room, sons and daughters that have broken hearts and broken relationships would seek restoration today. And God, we recognize fully right now we cannot do this in our own strength. God, oftentimes we feel like we're fighting ourselves. And we need you, God. We need your spirit in us. We need words. We need grace. We need these things that, that we don't have without you. And we need humility. And we want so desperately to be peacemakers in this world. We want peace in our relationships. We don't want chaos. We don't want tension. We seek the peace that only comes in knowing you. That is our hope for this, this church, this community, for, for the lives of everyone in this room, God. And that's our prayer today. And God, I pray, Lord, today that action would be put to feelings and to heart and to thoughts that you have given through your spirit, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. This morning, as, as we close up, uh, you know, some things that we've talked about uh, with tension and, and things that uh, some we can, we can laugh about, but there are some things, quite honestly, there are places where people need professional help. And as a community of believers, I want to make it super clear to, to everyone that our staff, very qualified, ministers of the gospel, so grateful to be a part of them and as, as a crew, as a team, but we're not professional counselors. And as, as a community, we, we have been partnering and we want to partner with people that are, that can help. And so we have, there's a list that's in the back at the, at the Welcome Center on, on your way out. This is a white sheet of paper that gives some different options that we think, hey, you're at a place where you need some professional help. Take the next step. 
don't be so stubborn in that that you take the next step of saying we need someone else to come in and, and help us to guide us through this process of, of where we're at in our relationship. Glad that you're here today, and I'm thankful that God helps us. He gives us the strength, and he helps us in every situation of life. It's been a great series together as we've as we looked and explored what marriage looks like in light of God's love for us. Um, some things to think about as you leave. Next, next weekend is the Daddy-Daughter Date Night. I invite you to come to that and be a part of that. This Sunday, if you've come in and you see these voting things, and what's that all about? I've never seen that before in, in this church or that. This is what we do once a year. Uh, way back in the, in the day, in old school days, we'd have a whole service dedicated. Do you remember those days? It was actually Sunday night service. The whole Sunday night service was about this voting thing. We try to do it a little bit more discreetly. There are, if you are a member of our church, and uh, we have a list, if you have forgotten whether or not you are. There's a list uh, that's back there, and uh, you're going to go to one of these tables, and what we're voting on today is, is different councils, and we have a church board. Our, our church is governed or led by a board that makes decisions. I don't make all the decisions. They certainly wouldn't trust me to do all that. We have people that work together because we're a community, and that's what the board is, is all about. And uh, so we're going to be voting on those things. And I just want to invite you to do this. Before you take that list, before you start to just cross things out and you do it, or you, you check people's names because you're super hungry because the, the guy up here talked too long today, um, pray. Take a few seconds and pray that God would lead you in those decisions. Okay? If everyone would stand this morning. It's been a great day. I feel like that we have been with the Lord today. We've worshiped him. We've, we've opened his word. We have been challenged. We have been stretched maybe even a little bit. And as I think about the things when God speaks to me and when I spend time with God, it's oftentimes he tells me to do something. So my invitation to you today is whatever God's told you to do, I don't know what it is. Maybe it had nothing to do with what we talked about today, but to my invitation is not to just be listeners of, of God's word, not to just be in his presence and do nothing about it, but go and be doers of his word and live in the peace that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. Let's go out into the world and be peacemakers. You are dismissed. Have a great week.